You keeping safe? We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, the blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Hey, good to see you all again. And um, I'm impressed that you've all decided to continue experiencing the, either the bliss or torture of this class. And so, uh, it has to be some amazing amulet working on your part. Say it again. It has to be amazing amulet making on your part. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, that's the key. Yeah. And sorry, I'm just trying to get the chat window up. There. Got it. Okay, very good. So, <clears throat> Dr. Kazi is interested in what we have women watching. Yeah, that's um, that's always a very, very big concern. I mean, enough men are subjected to it, mashallah. Okay, so continuing with uh, where we left off, we were looking at metaphors. And to recap very, very briefly, in this section from Ayah 17 through 20, uh, we have three metaphors. The first is the metaphor of the man kindling the fire. The second is the metaphor of, of, the, of the rainstorm. And the third is the metaphor of lightning. And so in Ayah uh, 19, which is what we looked at last time, we spoke of, of what's taking place. You have uh, this rainstorm, thunder, lightning, darkness. And then we have this person who's presented to protect himself is sticking his fingers in his ears. And what is he doing? He's just blocking out the sound as though that now suddenly makes him safe, which is a very, very irrational, we might even call it a childish response to, to the, the, the threat. Um, am I frozen? No, okay. Um, uh, a very childish response to to uh, the the threat, and so uh, from there, what did we say was the actual fear? The fear was the fear of death, and so we gave a very very simple formula um, uh, for regarding how to deal with fear. And part of fear, we said, is is uh, is physiology. That part. Uh, should not be changed, but then we spoke of in the context of fear. Oops, I don't want to share that. I want to share the whiteboard. In the context of fear, we should move from fearing things that can't hurt us. And move from there to fearing things that can hurt us.
And then from there, fearing the controller of those things. Okay, so so far so good. <clears throat> that that was the essential formula we spoke about yesterday. Uh, I want to add another concept for us to consider. <coughs> and uh, when we spoke uh, about the first metaphor, we spoke of light. And light almost always relates to guidance. And here we have the word for darkness, which is zulum. Uh, Sarah, I remind you your question uh, uh, at the end, inshallah, and we'll, we'll get that. Uh, so, in the context of the Quran, when we see darkness, what is that often referring to? We might think, okay, if, if light is guidance, then darkness is misguidance. Actually, more often, it is oppression. That guidance, light is guidance, darkness is oppression. And oppression is usually against the self. Now, let's make sense of this formula for a second. Uh, so let's say uh, I do something wrong to, to Dr. Kazi, right? Let's say I take this pen and I poke him in the head. Yeah. Uh, from a dunya perspective, I have wronged him. Yeah. But then what happens on the day of judgment? On the day of judgment, I have to pay him for the wrong that I've just done to him which means I have just depleted some of my good, which means I was the actual victim in that moment if we include the day of judgment in the picture. If we only include dunya, then I'm the oppressor and then Dr. Kazi was the oppressed. But if we include the day of judgment, if Dr. Kazi does not forgive me, then I am the oppressor of myself. Now, if he forgives me, then that's erased on my behalf and he has elevated his position. And so no matter what, from an, from an Akhira perspective, if I do something like that, Dr. Kazi's situation improves. What if I ask forgiveness from Allah? Very important question. Musab asked me again, then, uh, as that's a very big question. We'll get to that, um, inshallah, at the end. So, so the point I want to draw attention to were these terms, the use of these terms, um, Nur, which is light, and Dhulum, which is darkness, but Nur is, uh, uh, is uh, often speaking of guidance, 
and Vulum is often speaking of oppression. Okay. With, with the perpetrator often being the primary victim of, of their own uh, oppression. Okay, so <clears throat> let's now go to Ayah 20. So if you have it uh, in front of you, the simple translation is, the lightning almost snatches away their light. So once again, the first metaphor was the man killing the fire. The second one is the rainstorm. The third one is lightning. The lightning almost snatches away their light. So we have this group of people, and, and they're in this thunderstorm, and they have their fingers in their ears, and the lightning flashes. And I think we've all seen the scenario where lightning is, gets so bright first moment it looks as bright as day and that or it looks just blindingly white and then the second moment is that it becomes as bright as day and then it's dark again so then what it said what does it say as often as it flashes forth for them they walk therein and then when it is dark they stand still now, if Allah will, he could have destroyed their hearing and their sight. Allah is able to do all things. So let's stop uh, with the, let's uh, hold off on the last part. Why, a simple question, why are these people uh, walking when the lightning flashes? And why are they standing still when it's dark again? Simple question, anybody. Either you can say it or type it. They can see. I mean, the basic point being, when the lightning is flashing, they can see their next step is safe. And then when it's dark again, they're too afraid to take another step. Then it flashes again, and they take a step. And so what is taking place in this metaphor in contrast to the previous metaphor? So let's see. I is. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to use, I'm using a different computer today. I'm using my old computer, so inshallah it won't crash. Um, fire, the man killing the fire, uh, um, rainstorm, and then lightning. He said this one is about fear. This one is about guidance. This one is about trust. And what is the problem here? They are trusting lightning to provide them with the guidance for sight. And yes, they are trusting, they're fearing what cannot hurt them, and they're trusting what can kill them. So they're turning to something for guidance for light that can actually kill them, something that is dangerous for them. So again, we have people who are searching, relying on guidance, but they're turning in the wrong direction. Because then what does Allah Ta'ala say? If he willed, he could have taken away their hearing and their sight. Now imagine then what would they do? They're not going to be able to walk. They're going to be too terrified to walk. So these are attributes of the people of, of, of hypocrisy and in their core, the people of kufr in their heart, rejection of faith in their heart. And so when guidance is coming, these are the model people. So this is not your average non-Muslim. This is not your average hypocrite even because we hope everybody can be redeemed. These are the people that have reached beyond the point of no return. And what we're saying is these people, uh, when guidance is coming, it causes them darkness, okay? makes them blind. Uh, when they're afraid, 
they fear things that they can understand because they're fearing death and it becomes everything else becomes an irrational fear. And what are they turning to for trust? They're turning to um, uh, something that is harmful for them, something that's dangerous for them. Good. Now here's a separate question. Up to this point, those of you taking my class, you cannot answer this. We've taken my classes here before, cannot answer this. Uh, how many commands have we had so far? And you're welcome to look through the pages going from the seven ayahs of Al-Fatiha to the 20 ayahs of Al-Baqarah. How many commands have we had so far? Okay, Abu Hassan didn't listen. He's already been taking this class with me. The answer is zero. Good. Keep in mind, we looked at attributes of the people of Taqwa. There were no commands there. They believe in the unseen. They establish prayer. They spend what we have bestowed upon them. That's what the people of Taqwa do, but those are not commands. Kufr, these are people who reject it. It doesn't matter if you warn them or warn them not. No command there. Attributes of hypocrites, they lie, they, they deflect criticism, they are arrogant and devalue the community, they're two-faced, no commands. Thus far, we have not had any commands. Okay. Now, this becomes an important point. The quiz that I often give to people, and we might have discussed this all the way at the beginning of class, for people who believe, well, I've been Muslim my whole life, or, or I've studied a bunch of things, is can you tell me the fifth thing that Allah tells us to do in the Quran when I start from page one? And almost never, I don't think I've ever come around across anyone who could actually answer that question. Or the fourth thing. Or the third thing. Or the second. Now, some of you, Abu Hassan probably won't even listen, he'll put it on the board. The second or the first thing. Uh, uh, the point is, up to this point, we've not had any commands. But now what we have is the final setup. Uh, the imperative, I mean, it's an imperative, but it's not a command. Meaning you talk about is an imperative. And then uh, also don't make uh, mischief is also an imperative, but that's not a, a command to us. Okay, so this uh, is also the final setup before the first command. Because what are we saying here when we're looking at these three metaphors? What is it that makes it hard for us to practice our deed? And often, what makes it hard for us to practice our deen, the first issue for some people is, are they ready to accept guidance? No matter who it's coming from. So think, for example, uh, one of the most central of all the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him. What was his stature? We always talk about how tall Omar was. Uh, 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 can you hear me? Am I frozen? Okay. Uh, Basit, that might just be for you. That's cutting out. Okay. Uh, so, so, uh, don't worry, don't worry. I'm just uh, roasting you. Uh, so the point being that <coughs> uh, Abu uh, Abu Bakr, uh, how tall was he? What was his stature like physically? If I know, I mean, uh, Abdullah, are you raising your hand? You can just talk. He was not just slim, he was scrawny. Good. He was small. Yeah, so we have the narration about his clothes that didn't fit. He was a very, very small man. Omar was his giant. Good. And so, so generally in cultures, people will defer to someone who's taller. They'll defer. Uh, someone who's taller to someone who's shorter, someone who is standing versus someone who's sitting, someone who's male to someone who's female. These are common deferences that, that people will give. 
And so imagine listening to, to Abu Bakr, aside from his reputation that we give him today. And so the question I'm making is that uh, uh, naturally, if someone is speaking to us, we're going to be evaluating them. We're going to be evaluating the messenger sometimes before we're listening to the message. That's human. And so imagine the Prophet, peace be upon him, the most beautiful person in their society, if not in history, the most honest person, the most compassionate person. And if you couldn't listen to him, you can't listen to anybody. But then consider some of the other companions. And then, what is it that I truly fear? So this person is fearing thunder, which would be the equivalent of me being afraid of, well, what are people going to say? What are people going to say to me? What are people going to say about me? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me, right? What people say can't hurt me, but that might affect my behavior. And then, where am I getting my guidance from? So I might be relying on guidance for something that is actually not good for me. Uh, can someone nod to let me know you can hear me, or are you frozen? Yeah, okay, good, okay. As you can see, I've gotten totally terrified about being frozen. So, so all of this is now a setup for the first command. And so the first command is in, at the beginning of Ayah 21. Um, let's see, where's my phone? Okay. So Surah 2. When I was doing this class with my daughters a few moments ago, they started looking at all my tabs, started giving me all kinds of jokes. But I have so many tabs up. Uh, getting the feeling that you don't have to be freeze to be cool to us. Mashallah, thank you, mashallah. Uh, uh, Ahant, uh, come back to that question. Sada, also you. What about hypocrites trusting uh, that isn't good for them? Okay, all these are important questions that we'll try to get to uh, uh, at the end, inshallah. Keep asking all your questions, everyone, and I'll keep, I'll keep uh, unless it's immediately, immediately something that I can uh, address, uh, then I'll do it right there. Okay, I-21 is the first command. Ya ayuhanas, who is it addressed to with all the commands we want to see who is being spoken to? This is all mankind, all humanity. Worship your Lord. So he created you and he is the one who created those before you. So that you may get taqwa. So the first command is So let's go back to our wonderful whiteboard, inshallah. And so as I write this, I'm not writing this for you for informational purposes. I want all of us, if we don't already do this, to try to implement it from this point forward. Man one. So it's addressed to everyone. Uh-oh. 
Am I frozen? Uh, okay, one second. Stop share. There's me. And then let's try again. Let's see if this works. Yes. Okay. So command one, address to everyone. And the command is be the abd of your rub. Okay, so someone translate abd first. What is the common uh, definition of abd? It's super easy question. Slave, servant. servant. Yes. Um, and then rub. What is the common definition of rub? Sustainer. Sustainer is good. Lord is good. Yes. Now, how did we translate abd and ibadah? Going deeper into the meaning. So nourisher would be more with rub. So abd. Okay, that's all rub. I'm saying abd. How did we translate? Yeah, so love. Or the one who loves. Yeah, or the, to give your most extreme love. Give your most extreme love, your complete devotion. And then that long definition we had for Rub, which is the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design, which we commonly translated as your nourisher. So be, so what is it saying? Give your complete voluntary loving surrender. to your nourisher. Now, why am I writing all this out? Uh, imagine we changed Rab to Malik. If we said be the Abd, be the servant, give your most complete voluntary loving surrender to your master. How does that change uh, the sentiment of this command. Because we're still talking about Allah. How does it change the sentiment? And again, you can, you're, you're free to type or turn off your microphone. It seems like less like free will. Yeah, it moves from Jamal to Jalal. Absolutely. It becomes much more impersonal. And it could perhaps even make us more resentful. Absolutely. And so we're not only being told to give your most, your highest level of love, to Allah, but to understand that when Allah Ta'ala is telling us to do something, we're looking at Allah as our guide, our nourisher, our sustainer, the one who is making us grow. So in terms of the philosophy of Islamic law, part of the idea here is that if I follow it, it is to my benefits. If I don't follow it, it's to my detriment, not just in the other side, but in this dunya as well. That if I follow the deen, it will make my life better in this world, not just in the other side. So the point we made when we were speaking about straight path was how I imagine Islam will inform how I practice my Islam. 
if I imagine my Islam as a burden, as this giant set of rules and obligations, it's going to be hard for me to practice it. I will start overwhelming myself. If I imagine it as something that might be a temporary burden that will make my life better, just like physical fitness, then that will give me a very different approach in practicing it. And so likewise here, when we're speaking of the command, just like Sarah is saying, that we are giving our highest level of love to somebody or something. So we're directing it to Allah. That I think is already true for everybody in this room or in this conversation. And think of what you're of Allah in this process as the one who's nourishing you, who is sustaining you, who is making you grow. So this is in theory a natural fit. But so that's the command. But here's the bigger question. What is it telling me to do? Like from this point forward, I'm saying I would like if we don't already do it, try to really, really fulfill this command. What does it mean I change? What am I trying to do from this point forward? Am I frozen? No. Okay. So changing behaviors, obey every other command. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Abdul Ansari, when you're saying our devotional acts, you mean, oh, you're saying to fulfill them. Okay. Develop love and trust of God. I would say the first part of this is to develop love and trust of Allah. What if you were to say that this is not telling you anything, rather setting an objective for you? So this, this is come follow. So this is the exact point that it's telling me to develop a sentiment, an outlook on how I'm approaching life from this point forward. That if Allah Ta'ala tells me to jump, I'm going to try my best to jump and I'm going to see it as beneficial for me. Okay, okay. So if, if Allah is telling me to pray, I am going to try to make my prayers and I'm also going to see them as nourishing me. And so I'm trying to shift my look, my, my view of my prayers, for example, as a burden I have to fulfill. I have to show up and report to duty. As this is good for me. And so right now, all that we're being instructed to do, you know, just like Dr. Ghazi is mentioning, is to have an objective. And I'm making it wider to have a type of ontology, this type of outlook, this view of reality, this view of myself in relationship to reality from this point forward. Which means whatever command Allah Ta'ala is giving me, I'm going to see it as nourishing of me and I'm going to voluntarily completely give my love to Allah Ta'ala. And so what is Allah's love language? Yeah. Those, uh, someone uh, explain to us what our love language is. Anyway. Okay. So I don't know if someone's typing or speaking French, Spanish, huh? 
Okay, yeah. So, so we, uh, oh, okay. Mosad is speaking about the romance languages. Got it. Okay, so, so we're speaking of the way we feel and give love, the means by which we express love to others and by the way we receive. This is a, this is a common theory that comes up, especially in terms of counseling and such, that, that most people will have one of five love languages. One is, is words of affirmation, meaning how do they need to receive love? You give them words of affirmation. For some people, that doesn't work. Other people need gifts. For some people, if those don't work, they need quality time together. For some people, that doesn't work. And then what else? We have physical touch. And for other people, that doesn't work. One, two, three, four. Uh, I think you're missing one, Rami. What is it? Is it like to go do things or something? Uh, but the point is, so different people have, oh, acts of service, right, mashallah, uh, is to, uh, so different people, uh, how do you express love to that person? They usually need one or more of these five things. Now, how do you express love to Allah Ta'ala? It is obedience. That is the way to express love of Allah Ta'ala. And so there's a very famous hadith Qudsi. And if, if, uh, if I remember, at least I'll post it on my Facebook or, or I'll post it at the beginning of class tomorrow, where Allah Ta'ala is saying, I love nothing more than when my servant does the fara'id, when my servant does the obligatory acts. And then when the servant does the nawafil, the supererogatory, the nafil acts, then the servant gets closer and closer to me until I become the eyes with which the servant sees and the hand with which he strikes and the feet with which he walks, so far and so on. Okay. So we're saying the essence of, in our tradition, what is the love language of Allah? How does Allah Ta'ala say to give him love? It is by way of obedience. Um, these are also really good questions, and I'll get these to uh, we'll get these to uh, to these inshallah uh, at the end. Any questions so far? Okay. The rest of the ayah, we also have a couple of other small things to reflect upon. Um, so I think this works if I do stop share, and then if I um, go back to the ayah itself. Okay. So the first part we've spoken about. Oh, oh, humanity, be the abd of your rub. He's the one who created you as he created those before you. This, I think for us, is straightforward. The idea being basically that he's the one who made me. So thus, he knows what's best for me. Yeah. So when you go to a store and you buy a furniture that needs to be assembled, and then you get the, the manual, you can either try to assemble it on your own. You may be successful. You may not be. You may wind up with extra pieces or you follow the manual and that will give you the step-by-step -step process, right? Because that's coming from the people who actually made the product. He's the one who made us. And he also made everybody before us too. And so what is the idea here? As unique as I am, there are some things about me that are the same as everyone else. And then the last part, so that you may get taqwa. Here it says that you may get righteous. Perhaps or hopefully, it's that. Only person hearing us? Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry, I'm getting called into another class. It's totally confusing me. Okay, so that you may get taqwa. And so one of the points we made uh, when we were discussing taqwa uh, uh, a few classes ago was that Surah 2 seemed to be saying that this is guidance for those who have taqwa. 
the people of Taqwa, guides for those who have Taqwa. And the question was, well, what if I don't have Taqwa? How do we get Taqwa? So here we also have the very first step in getting Taqwa, which is the same as the first command, which is to voluntarily, lovingly surrender to Allah. So far, so good? Yeah, somebody nod just to make me feel good about myself. Yeah, mashallah, thank you. Okay. All right, so now let's uh, let's look at some of these questions. Yeah. Doesn't this all speak to the subconscious misconception people have that when I become a better person, I'll worship more versus the more accurate, I will worship more in turn, uh, to become a better person, increase my spiritual maturity, higher iman? Whether this speaks to that or not, um, I think we can argue both ways, but your principle, the point you're making, Sada, I agree with, that the key for me to developing my Iman and the key for me to develop further is to worship more, as opposed to I'm going to worship more when I'm a better person, that, that type of person is, is who knows when they're going to start worshiping, right? Uh, Abdul Ansari, so are we saying that the love of Allah is a different type of love than the love of the human beings? Yes. Uh, and what I'm also saying is that all of us surrender to something. All of us are the abd to something as an ilah. And, and even if I claim that there's no God, I'm still taking something as my ilah. And so part of what is this, essentially the command, make Allah your problem, as opposed to whatever else I might turn to. Lutfi, is the same action done in reluctance, resentment, fear, actually defying Allah versus doing it with will, uh, willingness and love? I wouldn't see it as defying Allah. I can see some people struggling to put their full trust into Allah, but they're still doing it. So they still might find themselves being uh, uh, resentful. Uh, and so the goal is that with the repetition of worship, I'm going to be getting closer to yaqeen. What's the formula to develop yaqeen? Certainty? It's actually increased worship. I Meaning you're not going to get certainty by rational argument. Um, you can get certainty by deeper and deeper worship. And with the same practice, you can also, inshallah, resolve some of that resentment. Some of that resentment might be a mental health issue as opposed to a spiritual issue. Yeah. That, you know, I have trauma related to authority or I have trauma related to something else. Uh, acts of service. Uh, the Khawarij. So the Khawarij uh, 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 appear to obey in the extreme? No, the Khawarij do not obey in the extreme because they were even overriding the Prophet, peace be upon him. The Khawarij are choosing text and literal interpretation of text over everything else, over the Prophet, over people. And so they were sort of worshiping Allah even if he didn't want it. You know, they were overriding God because they were overriding the Prophet, peace be upon him. When you differentiate between putting differentiate putting trust in Allah and doing your own work or putting in the work, that's a, a wider question. Let me think about when to uh, address that. But the short answer so far, the short answer so far is your default with Allah should be at the very least obedience. Okay. And then to make that point further, obedience in fard and obedience in haram. So trying to fulfill the fard and trying to eliminate the haram. And that will, uh, uh, and then the other, everything else becomes secondary or negotiable. Can I define obedience? Essentially doing what Allah tells me to. What were the hypocrites trusting that was not good for them? And you said that their irrational fears led them to trusting detrimental things to be correct. So the hypocrites were trusting lightning for guidance. 
And, and so lightning was something that could kill them. So imagine that someone's turning to alcohol for nourishment. Right, you have the illusion, or imagine someone turning to Cheetos for, for, for nourishment, you know, or lemon flavored gumdrops. I mean, they look like fruit, but they're not fruit. In the beginning, you mentioned, in the beginning, you mentioned that uh, anyone who we wrong in this world, we must repay in the Akhira, but not if they forgive us. What if we ask for, they ask for, our, we ask for their forgiveness, but they do not give it? The general understanding of this is that if you seek forgiveness from Allah and they do not give it to you, then uh, Allah Ta'ala will not forgive you either. That's the general understanding. Allah knows best, meaning that is a, 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 what seems to be the most common theory. That if you ask forgiveness from Allah, then you have that three-part test, right? Do you regard the action as wrong, whatever it is you were doing? Do you uh, hate to? Do you stop doing it, and do you hate to go back to it? If you can say yes to all three of those questions, then inshallah, your request is sincere. Even if you can't say yes to all three of those questions, you still ask, and inshallah, you're forgiven. But if you can't say yes to all three, then you're probably going to repeat the action. And then, if I uh, can, I list those, please. Sure. Second, do I regard the action as wrong? Do I stop the action? And do I hate to go back to the action? Now, of course, if I'm not fulfilling a fard, uh, then it would be the opposite. Do I re regard the lack of action as wrong? Do I start? Do I end the lack of action and do I hate to go back to the lack of action? If I can say yes to all three of these, then at least I can say my, my answer is, my request is sincere. Even if my request does not fulfill sincerity, I should still ask anyway. It is up to Allah whether or not he, he accepts it. And taking this a step further, if I cannot fulfill number one, it means I need more knowledge. If I cannot fulfill number two, it need, means I need more training. Like, what is it that's preventing me? Like, suppose it's like an addiction type thing. Uh, number three, if I can't fulfill number three, then I need more knowledge and more training. So the point is, that's in my relationship with Allah. If I'm requesting someone, a human, for forgiveness, then it's on them. You know, it's even on them to give me the terms of forgiveness. So there's that very, very famous story of this guy who's traveling and he comes to an orchard and he eats an apple because he's so hungry. And then he goes to the owner of the orchard and he says, okay, I, uh, I have to apologize. I need your forgiveness. Uh, I ate an orchard, an apple from your giant orchard, right? And then the owner of the orchard said, okay, I'm only going to forgive you if you work for me for X amount of time. And then you have to marry my daughter. But the problem is my daughter is blind, she's deaf, and she doesn't have any limbs. And the man is saying, some of you know who I'm talking about, the man is saying, okay, fine, if that's what it takes for forgiveness. And the guy works for the orchard owner for like eight years. And then, and then the owner says, okay, now you have to marry my daughter. He says, okay. And then they get married, and then the man is meeting his wife for the first time. And she's a full human being, beautiful, everything. And he's astounded, and he says, wait, this is not what your dad says. And she said, my dad said, I, I, I don't have any eyes or ears. What he meant is I've never seen haram. I've never heard haram. 
And when he was saying that I have no limbs, it's because I've never done haram. Okay. And so then they get married, and their child is who? Uh, it is said to be Abdul Qadir Jilad, who is one of the biggest of all of all uh, Muslims in all of history. So the point is, if you know, back to my example of you know, you know, poking Dr. Ghazi in the head with my pen. If I sought his forgiveness, and I'm just giving him ideas right now, if I sought his forgiveness, he can give me whatever terms and say, I'm not going to forgive you unless you do X, Y, Z. Okay, so, but if Dr. Kazi doesn't forgive me, then we would say that Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, may not forgive me, which means that the Akhirah, I give him some of my um, um, uh, good deeds. Is the guy telling the dude that his daughter is blind and such, but she's not lying? No, he's speaking in metaphor. Um, what if the terms are so harsh or excessive? Yes. Yes, Sadia. You know, that's literally what we're saying, that a person uh, requiring forgiveness might require some super, super um, uh, terms, and that would not be oppression. Okay, let's see. Uh, what were the hypocrites trusting that, was, oh yeah, that we addressed? Um, let's see. Uh, did I get all the rest of the questions? Uh, what's the takeaway point for implementing implementation for verse number 20, meaning verse number 21? 20, you're talking about the lightning verse or the command? 20. So there basically what we're relying upon for trust we want to make sure it's something that we should put our trust into, something that is beneficial for us. So Ahant also asked a question about this. Uh, this comes down to from whom are you taking guidance? From whom are you taking knowledge? Is it someone that is beneficial for you or is it someone who's detrimental for you? Considering you're all here, you couldn't find anybody else that you found the least detrimental. No, no, no. Okay, so, so the point is that that would be what to look for and where am I getting guidance from? Or another way to think about this is that a modern equivalent of go to turning to something that is lightning is the internet, trying to get your theme from the internet, you know, all those websites. Any other questions? Okay. How is the underlying eyes homework supposed to be to shape our subjective view? Uh, it is it what we have been talking about. So what we're saying uh, essentially at this point is to really have the attitude that whatever Allah Ta'ala tells me to do, I'm gonna see it as nourishing for me, as beneficial for me, okay? Not just, I have to do it, okay? That would be like being the servant of your master, okay? But to have the attitude, whatever is in the text, whatever the prophet peace be upon him prescribes us to do as his messenger, peace be upon him, I'm going to see this as nourishing for me. That I'm going to see this as something that I'm thirsty for. Yes, Dr. Mahan, you raise your hand. Yeah. Is, is there something in here like what Allah asks us to do deep down, we already know we're supposed to do? And I'm thinking of this, you know, going back to Al-Fatiha where we already said, and now the first command comes back, so it's like you already know this. Just don't forget. Uh, I think that's that's a that's a pretty good insight, mashallah. Uh, that all right. So what is what is the other ayah? Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, aminu. Right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you who believe, believe. 
Uh, I think uh, that's, a, that's a, a very wise insight, inshallah, mashallah. Any other questions? Uh, I'm assuming that the, the requisite for asking for forgiveness from people and doing what they say for forgiveness doesn't extend um, doesn't extend to them asking you to go against God, right? Yeah, of course not. Very good, very good clarification, right? So if Dr. Kazi, you know, if I poke him in the head and then he says, all right, if you want me to forgive you, you're going to have to whack Mahan, Malahat, and a few other people. That'll be like, sorry, dude. You know, no. uh, any other last questions? And so I do have to applause to Dr. Kazi, Dr. Kazi, because at the beginning of the session, he he made this point, and I and I was very uh, uh, abrupt in in my response when I said, um, you know, okay, let's get on with it. So I do apologize for that. So now I put myself in the position of being subjected to whatever his terms are for forgiveness. Any other questions? Uh, Mahan, did you raise your hand again, or is that the same raise? Lower hand. Anything else? Only for starters. For verse 21, what was your point where you were changed uh, when you changed the wording to nourisher? I was saying uh, when the fact that Allah Ta'ala is using the description of Rab for himself, think about how different it would be if it was Malik. The, the Abd of your Malik, now it becomes much more direct obedience. And be the Abd of your Rab becomes looking at it as nourishing. So the simple translation I'm using for Rab is nourisher. I like that better than Lord. Lord works more with contemporary Arabic. In terms of the text of the Quran, it seems more like a nourisher is, is, is more accurate. That's all I'm saying. Any last questions? All right, inshallah. We will stop right here. Tomorrow, inshallah, we're going to have a fun exercise, and we'll be getting into the second command. What if the person who can forgive doesn't want to forgive because they're just being mean and want to cause harm? Well, technically, it's they're not causing harm. Uh, and they can be mean. But keep in mind, if you're not forgiving someone, they are stuck in your head. You know, I wouldn't talk about a grudge. Uh, and so we're even told, if you forgive, it's better for you. Uh, what should a Muslim do if he, she asks for forgiveness from a fellow Muslim, but they refuse to give it? You can, I mean, Judaism, you ask three times and then you're done. But for us, you can ask as many times as you want. Um, are they not allowed to forgive? Uh, they are recommended to forgive. They are not obliged to forgive. Anything additional the Muslim should do to repent besides asking Allah for forgiveness? Keep asking for forgiveness. Unforgiveness, didn't the Prophet, peace be upon him, say, do not oppress and, 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 and do not be oppressed? Yes, but forgiveness is not oppression. Withholding forgiveness is not oppression. I mean, think about it this way. So, so suppose, uh, you know, let's make this just totally, uh, uh, really, really uh, serious. So suppose you, uh, you do something horrible. You know, suppose I do something horrible to your daughter, Yeah, and I'm asking for forgiveness, and you say, no way, I'm never going to forgive you. Or your daughter says, no way, I'm never going to forgive you. Is she oppressing me? No, of course not. Quick, one, one more quick question. Where's this, uh, Mahans, yes. Yeah. You know, what about a proportionality in... Um, the in Obligation or the, the, the granting of forgiveness? Right. So, like, if you bump into someone and you, you know, give them a little bruise or something, and then they say, you have to be my slave for five years or something, 
for yeah. me to forgive you. That's not proportional. And so what, what happens then? Well, I think that the, the, the size of the, of the crime is also very small. You know, if we're just speaking of normally bumping into someone, so you're not losing that much. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. Uh, meaning it's not worth it for me to do all this other stuff, you know, for, for this little tiny slight. Because um, even those stories that we have, like about Abdul Qadir Jilani and such, you know, whether they're true or not, Allah knows best. But why do we have those legends to, uh, to illustrate, you know, the feats people will go to and the seriousness that they have for the divine? But usually that doesn't apply to most of us. But I could be very myopic when I'm saying that. Can a person take back forgiveness after forgiving? No. Once you've granted it, what else have you given up? You can't even complain about it. If it's forgiven, that person has a clean slate. Uh, is there a connection between the frightening scene and the previous ayah and the peacefulness for this ayah? Uh, I think that makes sense. I mean, this is sort of a pathway to, to peace, but Allah knows best. Uh, I was under the impression that there is an ayah in the Quran that talks about how when rightfully taking revenge for something you should not overstep. Um, that is revenge and retribution, not the granting of forgiveness. Meaning, okay, so let's say, I, I punch uh, Abdullah in the nose. Yeah. It's on him whether to forgive me or not. Now, if it's retribution, the most he can do is punch me back in the nose. You can't punch me in the nose and the eye and the face and all that. That's what we're talking about in terms of retribution. Any other questions? Uh, yes, exactly. Nose for nose. <laughs> yes, yes, mashallah. Anything else? Maybe just one more question. Go for it. Um, it are, what are the virtues of forgiving even if the person doesn't ask for forgiveness or doesn't even want forgiveness? Uh, I think the, the most simple virtue is that it's cleaning your own heart, both in terms of, of your relationship with Allah as well as what's taking place inside. I think that's the highest aspect of, 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 of forgiveness, the benefit that it gives yourself. So, so think about slander. So think of different levels of slander. One level of slander is, okay, let's say, let's say uh, my name is Mahan and, and, and Omar Muzaffar is saying nasty things about me. Okay. And then I'm just so upset and I'm telling everyone, look at all the stuff that Muzaffar is saying about me. Okay. A higher level of that is for me to say, well, he's saying all these things about me, which means for free, he's handing over all of his good deeds to me. A higher level than that is what Omar would do, Omar ibn al-Khattab, not Omar Muzaffar, Omar ibn al-Khattab would do to people who are slandering him. He would say to them, it's better for you if you don't say this. Yeah. Meaning rather than Omar even cashing in, he's saying to that person, for that person's sake, it's better for you that you don't do it. And so, so the point is that forgiveness at one level, oh man, did I freeze again? I think I'm gonna freeze. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so we're saying forgiveness at one level is me clearing my heart, okay. and which can be uh, 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 it can have its own inertia, but I'm also taking you out of your own prison for your own good, uh, and you may not even realize it. Okay. Uh, is this power of forgiveness granted to non-Muslims as well? Yes, absolutely. Now, some will say that there are some differences between Muslim and non-Muslim in terms of those types of things, but in my understanding, understanding forgiveness and justice apply for everybody. 
regardless. Um, uh, uh, because of Hasanat retribution. Uh, if you can give me the whole sentence, that would be better, inshallah. Anything else? You're also welcome to talk, everybody, you know, while people are typing. Hey, Dr. Mahan, any more questions? Uh, I have 50 more questions. You can type, uh, you can maybe shake, save them and then type them all inshallah at a different time. Wait, I have a question. Yes. Honestly, I was like, I gave up a long time ago, but like, since you're still here, <laughs> the, I don't get why you were talking about Allah as in like the whole language of love. So how did we translate Ibadah? So we translate Ibadah as giving your most ultimate extreme love. That's what Ibadah is. So U'budu is to give your most extreme love. Okay. That was it. You're like, no, I'm from <laughs> Orland Park. We do not have love in Orland Park. Jazakallah okay. uh, khair. Yes. Uh, Basit, uh, uh, what was your question? Was it, are you breaking up? Um, I'm not sure what your question was. Anybody else? Nothing else. Going once. Going twice. Okay, inshallah. We will continue, inshallah, tomorrow. Like I said, tomorrow we'll have some, some fun exercises. I gotta figure out how to do it in a classroom format or this online classroom format, and then we'll get into the second command of the Quran. Again, in the order that it is compiled, not in the order that is received. That's very, very different. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. We bear witness there is no God but you. We seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah. And we will uh, convene next week. We forgive you for not giving us a single day off. Once again, everyone be safe. Let us also keep praying for all the people on the front lines, whether they're in the the, the, the hospital rooms or the grocery store and trucking or what have you, or parents, and, and also pray for cure for all those people who have gotten sick. Wassalamu alaikum.